Welcome to the Sui Generous Show, your unique perspective on all things related to your civil rights and the criminal injustice system. With Eric Amaro, I'm attorney Brian Jones, criminal defense and civil rights warrior. Today we'll be exploring the landmark case of Miranda versus Arizona, a Supreme Court of the United States decision about the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution that prevents prosecutors from using a person's coerced confession against them in court and requires police to give the classic Miranda warnings to individuals who they want to question while in police custody. To make sure you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe on Apple iTunes and Spotify. Follow us on social media, including facebook.com slash Central Ohio Criminal Defense and on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at TLOBJ. Finally, you can look to TLOBJ.com for more information about this topic and everything else you need to know about your civil rights and the criminal injustice system. Erica, did you see in the news this week, an investigation has been opened into accusations that Ohio corrections officers were forcing inmates to fight in prison. That is unbelievable. I've, I've actually never heard of this before. And it just reminds me of like cockfighting where you, know, you put two roosters together and they fight to the death. And it sounds like a similar situation happened, but with humans. And that is just disgusting. The first thing about Prison Fight Club is you don't talk about Prison Fight Club, but these individuals have sued Ross Correctional Institution and the corrections officers for violating their Eighth Amendment rights by forcing them to fight, leaving them in their cells as they had been hurt seriously, ultimately requiring medical attention, and then punishing them for engaging in the fight afterwards. Wow. I mean, what do you see happening? Do you think that these uh, corrections officers are going to be punished? Well, Erica, this goes back to our classic conversation about qualified immunity. These corrections officers can be protected by qualified immunity. The question is, will this conduct violate clearly established standards and violation of their duties as corrections officers? I, of course, would argue absolutely it does, but we'll have to wait and see whether the district court agrees with the plaintiffs in this case. Wow, this is going to be really interesting. I hope that you bring us updates in the upcoming episodes. Yeah, we will absolutely make sure to follow this, follow this story throughout its progression. The Fraternal Order of Police came out this week and asked to have attorney Fred Benton removed from Mayor Ginther's working group as he now sits as a civilian review board member. Now, Fred Benton, you may remember, is a Columbus criminal defense attorney who represented Quentin Smith, the man who was convicting, convicted of killing two Westerville police officers back in 2018. The Fraternal Order of Police want Mr. Benton removed because he represented an individual in a criminal case that just so happens to have police officers as the victims of the individual's criminal conduct. Well, that sounds like it's ridiculous. That's just like saying that you believe in the crimes that criminals commit just because you're there to defend them, which is, it's everyone's right to have a defense. So I, I, I don't understand where they're, they're making that jump. 
I'm sure that he's a very upstanding individual and that he does a great job on the board. This is a classic example of a misconception about the defense bar. You're absolutely right, Erica. We in the defense bar do not support crime. We defend the people that are accused of that crime. And people commit crimes for a variety of reasons. In my experience, it's most often because of a mental illness or some other personal tragedy that they are suffering from and with proper remedial measures can be disposed of. Now, these individuals do need punished, but the fact that we represent these individuals does not make us supporters of the crimes that they committed. You may remember back in 2016, when Hillary Clinton was running for presidency, she was attacked because she had represented one individual on a court-appointed basis in a situation that she was involuntarily forced into. You know, it's, it's critically important that people receive a zealous defense, whether the public believes that they did it or not, because there are hundreds, if not thousands of individuals right now in prison who are actually innocent of the crimes that they are in prison for. And the reality is, is that without a zealous defense, we incarcerate more and more individuals unnecessarily. There's also the angle of mitigation, as we talked about. Most people have committed their crime because of a reason that can be remedied. And bringing the mitigation of that conduct to the judge's attention during the course of the representation is critically important and a critical role of the defense attorney. It in no way reflects on Mr. Benton's ability to be a member of this citizen review board. Well, I, I agree with you. I think that um, otherwise you'd have to say that every criminal attorney is a criminal themselves almost. And it's, it's just absurd. I mean, we have, like you said, everybody deserves a zealous defense. And if you don't have that, then a lot of corruption is just going to erupt more than there already is. Absolutely, Erica. And to look no further for corruption than right across the pond in our mother nation, England. Now, we gave Mother England the old heave-ho back in 1776, but right now, actor Johnny Depp is embroiled in a legal battle that he started over there. Now, Mr. Depp was never charged criminally based on accusations of domestic violence arising from his divorce from actress Amber Heard. And he is now suing publishers of a local newspaper for calling him a wife beater in print. Now, this is a really difficult issue, Erica, because Johnny Depp has suffered harm to his reputation as the result of those publications. However, during the process of trying to clear his name, more damaging information is coming out. The danger of engaging in this collateral proceeding is that while Mr. Depp is attempting to clear his name, additional damaging information is coming out and splashing about the media. Pictures of his drug use, testimony about him providing drugs to his daughter, and other sordid details of their personal life. There's some real questions about the legal strategy and the impact of bad information, often referred to as the Barbara Streisand effect, on Mr. Depp's career. For example, Disney just announced that the next Pirates of the Caribbean 
um, with has no firm expectation to bring Johnny Depp back in his signature role of Captain Jack Sparrow. This is an example of how lawyers' execution of their clients' goals can often result in unintended collateral harm. And lawyers have a real responsibility to their clients to make sure that they're doing what is necessary and appropriate to advise them of the wide ranging consequences of pursuing a particular legal strategy. Well, that sounds like a real juggling act for an attorney that would be uh, trying to defend somebody's reputation while trying to defend their innocence or at least give them the zealous representation that they deserve. And so, I mean, I just, it just feels like you're putting out a lot of fires. You're trying to, to do the investigation because I know that you guys do a separate, a second investigation. You don't just trust what the cops give you or, you know, what the prosecution gives you. You are out there getting your own information, but then other little things pop up and it may or may not be true, whatever that information is, it certainly doesn't help your defense if uh, you know there's something out there that is disparaging against your client's reputation and it just keeps building up. I, I don't know how you do it. We've had numerous clients, Erica, who have asked us to forego information that would be beneficial to their defense because it would have additional broader consequences in their personal lives. For instance, an alibi that includes being with a mistress or engaging in some sort of behavior that they would be ashamed to have the public come to know, but would also exonerate them of the crime itself. It makes for a very difficult decision because ultimately it's the lawyer's choice in those situations to move forward with the evidence and achieve the ultimate goal of acquittal. Um, but of course, the client is often not happy in those situations because of the consequences to their personal lives. So those are, those are very difficult decisions that we have to make every single day. I'm not jealous of your job, that is for sure. It is amazing what you have to handle and how you get such great results and, and a fair trial for your clients. Thank you, Erica. I hope you don't mind backing up and telling me what is the Barbra Streisand effect? Well, Erica, back in 2003, a bunch of paparazzi had taken pictures of Barbra Streisand's home in Malibu. And she attempted to uh, kind of censor or suppress those pictures from publication. And in the process of doing so by sending a cease and desist letter, she ultimately drew more attention to the pictures themselves. Uh, this effect has been seen by a variety of individuals, uh, both in politics, in business, and in sports. Uh, Premier Football Leaguer, uh, Premier League footballer, rather, Ryan Griggs, had sued Twitter after a user revealed that he was the subject of a privacy injunction uh, that prevented publication of details about an alleged affair that he had with a Big Brother contestant. So, when you try and keep this information from the public, when you use legal process to try and settle personal disputes, sometimes it can backfire and put into the public eye information that you may not want out there. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think that just the average citizen would understand that. So I'm, I'm glad that your clients have hired you and that you have you know, all these, all this information and 
you know, examples of what can go wrong so that you can kind of come up with a, a better strategy than that. I appreciate that, Erica. So let's move on to our featured topic this week, Miranda warnings. Now, Erica, what do you know about Miranda warnings? Pretty much what I see in the movies, you have a right to be silent and you have a right to an attorney and that sort of thing. You've seen it for 20 years on TV. Absolutely, it's become uh, the most widely known issue in law and probably the most widely uh, misunderstood issue in law, certainly in the last 40 years or so. So Miranda versus Arizona is a Supreme Court case that gave us the Miranda warnings. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney. If you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. And we've all heard that on pretty much every cop show that we've watched over the last 40 years. Carmen Miranda was arrested by Phoenix police on circumstantial evidence that connected him to a kidnapping and rape of a young woman. Now, Mr. Miranda had typed, signed a typed confession that police claimed to be voluntary. However, he was never warned of his right to an attorney. He was never told that he had the right to remain silent or that his statements would be ultimately used against him. And the Supreme Court found that a person who is in custody must, before they are questioned, be clearly informed of these rights. And the, the rights that we hear read on TV are pulled straight out of the Supreme Court decision. It's probably the most widely known passage of anything the Supreme Court has ever written, that he has the right to remain silent, that anything he says will be used against him in court. He must be clearly informed that he has the right to counsel with a lawyer and to have the lawyer with him during interrogation and that if he is indigent, a lawyer will be appointed to represent him. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think everybody knows those rights and you know they can at least recite two of them. <laughs> they can recite them, but can they ever obey them? Well, I mean, I know that one of your big things is no walk, no talk, no blow. And it is just, I, I feel like people, it's unnatural for them not to answer a question from an authority figure. I, I feel like it's so unnatural for them to say, hey, no, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going. I mean, it's a police officer. You listen to them. The uniform, the firearm, the chemical weapons, the handcuffs, the, the blunt force weapons that police officers carry are all designed to achieve a very specific purpose of intimidation and establishment of an authority position for that exact reason. Well, I mean, it's, it's there. You're right. It's there because they, they have to handle situations where they are an authority figure, but there are situations where they maybe use that to their advantage and it takes away somebody's rights that they didn't realize that they had. Through trickery and deception, nonetheless. As I understand it, it which is different than what I thought before, that there are different situations where 
the Miranda warnings apply. When are those situations? So the Miranda warnings and the case law that came out of that decision only apply in situations of custodial interrogation. So there's two elements there. The first is custodial. The second is interrogation. So the, the legal standard is would a person feel free to disengage from this interaction with the police? It's not just about being in custody or under formal arrest that matters. There must also be that second element, an interrogation or questioning of somebody in a formal setting, asking or saying things designed to elicit incriminating information. And in that regard, you can be in custody without being interrogated, and you can be interrogated or questioned without being in custody. For example, a person can be arrested and never asked any questions about the reason that they were arrested. But then you can arrive at jail and have to give over in administrative information, like your height, your age, any medical conditions. Likewise, you could be stopped at the roadside and asked for your driver's license and proof of insurance and never receive your Miranda warnings during that process. If you did not call the police to the scene that you ultimately come in contact with them, you can assume the officer is there to investigate you. And you should be polite, but circumspect and disengage from the conversation because you are always entitled to the advice and representation of counsel. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, maybe in the moment it's a little nerve wracking, but if you can remember that you don't have to talk, then that's the best thing. So does this mean that I don't have to produce my identification if I'm asked to by a law enforcement officer? So in Ohio, you're obligated to provide your name, your address, and your date of birth if requested by an officer, if and only if that officer holds a reasonable suspicion that you have committed or are committing or about to commit a crime. So the key to ask before you provide that information is, am I free to leave? If you are free to leave, you leave. If the officer says, no, you're not free to leave, the next question is, am I suspected of a crime? And if the officer says yes, you must provide that information. If the officer says no, then you should leave immediately. If the answer to either of those questions is yes, you immediately say, I want a lawyer, and then hashtag no talk. That makes a lot of sense. So what if it does happen where you don't get Mirandized? Does that mean that your case is dismissed? Erica, I get this question all the time. The short answer is no. If your Miranda rights have been violated, as in a situation where you were questioned without being warned or without a voluntary knowing and intelligent waiver of your rights, any incriminating statements against you cannot be used against you at trial. They are suppressed from evidence. And that's a penalty that judges impose on police officers for violating the Constitution. They call it the exclusionary rule. They exclude the unlawfully obtained evidence from trial. Now, depending on the nature and circumstances of the case against you, that can have a dramatic impact on the quality of the prosecutor's case overall. 
It can be a major leverage tool in plea bargaining. And if the confession is the major element of the prosecutor's case, it may result in a dismissal. But it is not required simply because an officer did not read your Miranda warnings to you. Well, that's really great information. And I thank you so much for letting everybody know about this intricate piece of the law that it, you, know, you think that you know because you've seen it for so long on TV, but there's really a lot of gotchas in there that, that people need to know about. Well, that's only the least of it, Erica. What we have seen ever since the advent of Miranda is that the Supreme Court has been chipping away at those protections year after year, decade after decade. Almost immediately after Miranda was decided, back in 1971, the court decided Harris versus New York, where a confession obtained by violating Miranda was allowed to be used in court to impeach or contradict the defendant's testimony in his own defense. Uh, in 1980, the Supreme Court decided Rhode Island versus Innis, where they said, well, a spontaneous statement made by an unmirandized defendant can be used against him. So this individual is in custody. He says something, it's incriminating, but he's never been warned of his Miranda rights. And the court said, well, even though he was in custody, we're gonna allow that statement to come in. New York v. Quarles in 1984 created and carved out a public safety exception to the Miranda rule when there's exigent circumstances that require protection of the public, such as the location of a kidnapped person or an explosive device. So in that situation, they don't have to explain your Miranda rights to you and they can engage in that sort of coercive custodial interrogation that we talked about last week. The, the idea of a knowing, intelligent, and voluntary waiver has been eroded and reduced to the point where even if an, a suspect has very little understanding of their Miranda warnings, even if that suspect is cognitively and mentally impaired at the time they receive those warnings, then the police can still just throw those warnings at you and achieve uh, a voluntary, a quote unquote voluntary statement. Colorado versus Connolly in 1986 made that distinction. What these decisions reinforce is that there is absolutely zero leeway given to the accused. You must exercise your right to remain silent immediately or literally anything and everything you say can and will be used against you in court. And in fact, in 2010, the Supreme Court said, you can't even just sit there and be silent. If you sit there and you're silent, after being told about your right to remain silent, your continuing to be remaining silent can be used against you in court. That was the decision of Bergwies versus Tompkins, in which Justice Sotomayor wrote a scathing dissent, saying that the Miranda warnings and the rights of individuals under the Fifth Amendment had been absolutely eviscerated by the court. And I agree with her. This is absolutely ridiculous. You now have to say affirmatively, I want to remain silent in order to assert your right to remain silent, or your silence can be used against you in your criminal trial. In my opinion, it's absolute insanity, which is why I always say, hashtag no talk 
and you call a lawyer. Tell the police, I want a lawyer, and then immediately shut up. Wow. I, that is so confusing. I can't even believe that that happened. Um, it, so I can see, like, you can't emphasize enough. Just get an attorney and stop talking. That's the, that's the plain and simple of it. You'll see a lot of lawyers out there on the internet, Erica. You'll see a lot of lawyers out there on the internet having these long scripts. Um, you know, ask the officer why they're asking you questions. Tell the officer that you don't want to discuss your day. Or tell the officer this. Tell the officer that. I can make it very simple. If you have not called the officer to your location, and the officer approaches you and asks you questions, your immediate response can be lawyer. And then you shut up. And that's all you have to do. Lawyer. Well, thank you for making what seems very complicated, very simple. Erica, I appreciate it. And thank you for joining me today. Now, to become more informed about how the government is expanding the criminal code, violating our constitutional rights, and everything that you need to know about your civil rights and the criminal injustice system, I want to make sure everybody checks out TLOBJ.com. Follows us on Facebook, Central Ohio Criminal Defense, and on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at TLOBJ. Remember our hashtags, no walk, no talk, and no blow. We'll be back next week with a new sui generis perspective on the next thing in civil rights and the criminal injustice system, as well as an explanation and an exploration of confessions, whether in custody or made outside of the presence of law enforcement and how they are used at trial. Erica, my grandfather always told me, don't do anything I wouldn't do. To that I add, if you do and you get caught, call me. I'll defend your rights as I would want mine defended.